This is the Frog for Life podcast. I'm your host, Rob Berline. TCU taught me how to, uh, you know, pull back my ears and uh, face problems with confidence, knowing that uh, there's always an answer. And, uh, you know, if you, if, you just, if you just have enough faith in, in yourself, have enough faith in your education, know that, uh, uh, you know, you come from a strong place, coming from a school like TCU, uh, taught me problem solving. Uh, there, there's just a lot of good memories from TCU, way, way beyond just the academics. Uh. That is the voice of Clint Robertson, who has been a TV star on the show Apprentice and the current HGTV show Boise Boys, which you can learn about on HGTV.com slash Boise Boys. We caught up with Clint this spring as he went through his transformation as a student at TCU to be an entrepreneur and later in the entertainment industry. And we are very lucky today to be joined by HGTV uh, TV personality Clint Robertson. Uh, some of you may know him from his time on The Apprentice or from the time on Boise Boys. Or if you're in Fort Worth, you may have grown up with Clint. But Clint, here you are. Thank you so much for joining us today. No, you bet. Happy to be here. Tell you what, just just thinking of Fort Worth makes me makes me hungry. The food of the Pacific Northwest isn't anything like it is in Texas. Well, we'll get into your favorite spots in Fort Worth here in a second, but tell us a little about um, growing up, how you decided to come to TCU. Well, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have a full academic scholarship to TCU. Um, you know, when, when I was growing up, I, everybody, every, every guy who plays sports has a dream of going somewhere on a football or a baseball scholarship, and I... Uh, uh, you know, I I, I kind of messed my neck up in college, in, in high school, wasn't able to play uh, play sports for too long. But fortunately, I was able to turn that into motivation to get my grade, keep my grades high, and uh, TCU offered me a full ride. So how can you turn that down? And so then you come to TCU, and what are some of the things you got involved in? Well, when I first got to TCU, uh, I was whole hog going into pre med. You know, my my graduation present was a stethoscope. And uh, I just knew that I knew I was going to be a doctor. So I was all involved in pre-med. I was involved in, uh, um, you know, a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the side things. I, I worked down at uh, the hospital as a, back then, I was a surgical orderly. And uh, it was a really cool experience, you know, that they, they let guys, uh, college guys do that kind of thing. So I uh, was really involved, uh, you know, just, just kept my nose pointed straight at uh, uh, the path of medicine. And, uh you know, I, I got down the, the way and uh, got to be uh, my sophomore year, and I started looking and seeing what was on the horizon of, uh, of medicine and was probably, you know, looking at a worst-case scenario but was concerned about, uh, you know, working all my life, adding another 12 years to my uh, degree and then getting into a field where, you know, there was going to be, you know, government restrictions on, on the type of income you could make. So I, uh, I'd i always kind of had a uh, entrepreneurial-type spirit, so I I just hopped over into the Neely School and uh, uh, got a CPA, and while all those other guys, I got a, an accounting degree, and while all those other guys around me had uh, gals around me had uh, uh, electives of uh, you know pottery and some of those electives like that, my, all my electives turned out to be organic chemistry and physics and things like that. So uh, I got the worst of both worlds when it came to <laughs> when it came to a uh, 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 tough schedule. And so you wanted to be an entrepreneur. How do you go from being an entrepreneur to, uh, I guess that explains why you were on The Apprentice, but how do you go from that to, you know, being, end up in a, being a contractor? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, if you look around, most of the world's wealth, it, 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 if it's not off of a new innovation, it's, off, it's always been off of land. 
uh, and dirt. And uh, when I when I came out of TCU, I got my CPA, uh, worked uh, one year at Ernst Young CPA firm, one, one busy season, and uh, got my law degree, uh, got, became an attorney and a CPA. And uh, my parents, you know, I grew up in a, in a family of entrepreneurs, small business. My parents owned fast food restaurants uh, all, all over West Texas, and I uh, I decided, uh, you know, shoot, I, I grew up with my I grew up flipping burgers and, and uh, working on, you know, things that broke in the restaurant. So uh, I enjoyed working with my hands. And my dad always told me, you know, the, the first deal, you know, no matter what business you're in, you're always going to deal with real estate. So uh, I got my real estate broker's license. And, uh, uh, you know, just to cut out different fees, I, start, I got involved in real estate shortly after, uh, um, you know, after I got out of uh, uh, law school and never looked back. And... You grew up in Fort Worth and loved the Fort Worth cuisine. Went to school in Fort Worth, and then yep. somehow Capital you went, High School. and then somehow you end up in Boise. How does how do you end up in <laughs> Boise? That's a good story. You know when I um, we uh, I, I, we started building. I owned a title uh, company, and uh, I started seeing all the all the money coming through for multifamily. Uh, everybody was wanting Texas multifamily, Texas. Uh, duplexes, fourplexes, apartment complexes. And so I uh, put on my uh, real estate cap and uh, just started uh, building multifamily as fast as I could build it and selling it to folks who, were, who wanted to, to own a piece of Texas uh, multifamily real estate. And uh, we were going as fast as we could go. And then uh, uh, I started, I, real, I looked around, I was really working hard, probably working a lot more than I should you know, just because the demand was so high. And my boys uh, had just turned 12, 10, and 8. And um, one day I just kind of looked up and had the realization, my goodness, my oldest boy is practically a teenager. And uh, what if I, what kind of, what, what if I invested in them? You know, what if I invested in them other than money? So my wife and I, uh, early 2008, started looking around and uh, we found a place in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, sight unseen. Uh, just, you know, we, my wife and I always wanted to spend some time in the mountains. And so we said, you know, what better time than now? So we basically sold everything, uh, got out of got out of our business. And I was planning on going on a little sabbatical, just spending some time with uh, my boys and my wife up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And as sure as we did, as soon as we did, now I consider it providence. I know the Lord had something to do with that because as soon as we made that decision and got out of the, the, the business, uh, heading to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, the market just completely imploded as everybody in Fort Worth is probably aware, and throughout the country, the 2008 hit, and real estate took a, a just a huge beating. So I look at that as a as a, you know kind of Lord's hand getting us uh, out of that without too you know too much collateral damage. So anyway, we, that, that's how we ended up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And then my oldest boy, when he was 16, got a scholarship to uh, come to Boise State University. And uh, so about six years ago, five six years ago, we said, wow, we love Boise. So we kind of helicopter parented down, <laughs> down with him to Boise and uh, realized the, the real estate market was in a Goldilocks zone, uh, you know, a place where you could buy, renovate and sell and, uh, uh, you know, make a good profit. So that's kind of the, the long story short. In 2011, Clint went from being an entrepreneur to being a household name after his time on the TV show Apprentice. Well, it was crazy. Uh, you know, I, I, I watched The Apprentice just kind of as a, as a uh, guilty pleasure, I guess. 
uh, always thinking, you know, those people on that show, they're, there's so so many things that they screw up on. It's no reason everybody gets fired. And there's only, a, you know, the, the, some of these people are, are fired for, for stupid reasons. And I always thought, you know what, I don't think I'd make those kind of mistakes. And uh, so when they announced the final season of individuals, who I mean, of, of folks who weren't celebrity, I said, man, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. So I, I uh, they had one final interview, uh, and it was in Las Vegas. So I just jumped on a plane one day showed up in Las Vegas, stood in line all night and thousands of people outside Trump Trump Hotel in Las Vegas. And as the sun rose the next morning, they started seeing people. And one thing led to the other. You know, you get you, the, the group keeps getting smaller and they keep culling and bringing people back from all the different places in the United States. And that was that. I ended up on the show. So when you were interviewing for the show, was it mainly just the producers and, and TV people you met with? Or did you actually meet with any of the you know, the, the Trump executives. Yeah, no, you, you, the, fur, the further up, the, you know, meeting after meeting, uh, finally they brought um, 160 of us, which is 10 times the number of people they needed. They got it down to 160 uh, after, you know, several flights back and forth. And they took everybody out to California. And we met with, uh, uh, the, you know, some of the Trump executives, some of the high-ranking uh, executives. And then when it got down to the final 32, Mr. Trump and uh, uh, Mark Burnett were both there, and uh, they kind of went through the cull, and uh, they picked the 16 people they wanted for the show. And so what are some of the memorable challenges and uh, entrepreneurial things that he that he had you do on the show? You know, the show is based uh, around business tasks, you know, how much money you can make selling an item, uh, decisions you make, uh, quick decisions you make. Everything's a quick decision. Uh, you know, you, you, you wake up at four every morning and you're lucky if you're in bed by midnight and you, you do that for about three months going through this process. And so you not only have to make the, you know, good decisions as you go, you also have to, to guard against your carnal instincts as you go on less and less sleep and, uh, you know, a little, little more edgy. Uh, one, one, one task in particular that I remember uh, was uh, doing pedicab rides around uh, New York City where, well, we had two teams split up into girls and guys, and we would get pedicab rides, uh, you know, tourist, uh, uh, basically a bicycle with a, you know, with a, a box on the front of it or behind it where you pull people around to show them the sights. And uh, we were down to only four guys left, I think the six girls. And they also, you know, they had, uh, uh, you know, they had the numerical advantage, but we actually ended up pulling it out and had some good ideas along the way. And, it uh, made for a really interesting scene. So if you if you ever if you have some free time, you ought to YouTube the uh, uh, season ten pedicab rides. That that's a hoot. All right. And one of the things I saw when you were you were on uh, Apprentice is I believe you called yourself Mister Run the Show. So where does uh, where did that nickname <laughs> and uh, that I guess that drive come from? Well, I don't know. I you know I just it, I, it's probably. Uh, it's probably a curse. You know, I, I, I grew up in a, a family of type A entrepreneurs who, uh, you know, the, the, the best thing you can learn as an entrepreneur is how to delegate. So that's, that's a battle that type A people always fight. It's delegation versus taking the bull by the horns yourself. So if you can dance that dance and, and balance that balance, you can be a successful entrepreneur. Uh, when your inner demons kick in and you decide to take everything over yourself and, uh, 
you know, sometimes that can be a uh, a negative. But I think in that in that in that show, uh, you know, in the show, time is too short to uh, waste too much time uh, on 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 boats and on uh, um, on de- on delegation. You just have to go 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 and make sure everybody's doing what they're doing, and you know, roll up your sleeves and get it done. And following the show, what impact did that have on your career? Well, you know, I had a lot of opportunities when I when I left the show. In fact, uh, for about six months, uh, the whole family went down to South Florida. We did some PR work for some, from some different folks. We have, uh, you know, I, th- I think just being in the net, it's funny. When, when you hit that national scene and everybody knows you, you're a lot more marketable for different uh, things like we're doing today. So I feel like uh, when HGTV put out the call that they were looking for an odd couple, uh, and, and you know, I, I think the fact that uh, – we had already had that exposure, or at least I had already had that exposure. And, you know, Luke, my partner, he was a, he's a musician, so he had some national exposure as well. So between the two of us, I think that really helped us when it came time to, to get in the show. And you talked about your, your partner, Luke. I wanted to go into that relationship. How did you guys meet? And, and did you guys, how did you decide to pitch a show to HGTV about home renovation? You know, it's funny. We, we, Luke and I met through a mutual friend at church. We actually, uh, uh, the friend was wanting a little, uh, you know, kind of wanted to wanted me to, to mentor him in real estate, and he asked if I would actually sit down with Luke, and uh, uh, he, he wanted to kind of get started. He knew Luke was actually trying to flip a couple houses himself by himself, and he wanted to help Luke, but he didn't know enough about real estate and real estate uh, renovation. So I was going to kind of step in and help him, and you know, maybe in, uh, basically stand behind him, surety him uh, in what he was doing so, so that Luke would hire him. And uh, funny today, uh, shortly after we had that first meeting, uh, the, the guy decided he, he was going to go into uh, a computer science and website development. And, and But from that day forward, Luke and I, uh, you know, we hit it off. We started looking at properties and, you know, because Luke knew the area and had a, has a good eye for design. I felt like that was all I needed to uh, to hit the Boise market and uh, uh, make a splash. So we didn't we didn't really pitch what we were doing. In fact, by that time, that was about you know five years after I'd been on The Apprentice, and by that time I was just kind of looking to to find a way to you know make a good income, provide for my family, and live in obscurity. But uh, the um, Luke's pretty good with social media, and he. Uh, He'd throw up some pictures of you know of what we were doing, you know, trying to build our brand locally. And lo and behold, uh, as I mentioned earlier, HGTV had put out the word they were looking for an odd couple. They also wanted uh, someone in the Pacific Northwest because they, that was underrepresented on their programming. So between those two, we almost immediately got inundated with 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 uh, folks uh, from different production companies wanting to uh, pitch a show to HGTV and. Uh, Luke and I had to make some hard decisions, and we made a, the the best decision of our career as far as um, as far as which production company to go to or to go with, and that's High Noon Entertainment. They're actually the folks who produce uh, Fixer Upper and some of the other big name shows you're aware of. So we thought, let's go with a company that doesn't need us because they're going to know how to do this thing and do it right. So years after working on the TV show Apprentice, Clint and his friend Luke finally got the go ahead to film the show Boise Boys. Unbeknownst to us, it was it's a lot like The Apprentice. You know, the odds are stacked incredibly against you. In fact, when they told us they wanted to talk to us about a show, immediately you think, wow, we're special. We're going to get a show. And uh, But that's not how it works. There are, prob- there are 
I believe the number was something like 20 there are 25,000 sizzle reels a year and that's the first thing they shoot is basically just a little sizzle reel a two and a half to three minute reel of us either you know in, in you know doing what we do or talking and HGTV looks through all those and then they cull it down uh, like at, to, to you know less than one percent. And then that uh, that less than one percent, they'll they'll send out a crew and they'll film what's called an Act One, and that Act One is basically just what everything you see between the beginning of the show, uh, the intro, and the first commercial break. And so th- they film that, and then they decided they wanted to, to do a uh, pilot, which is a big deal. And the toughest thing you can get in this business is a pilot, and then the, mo- the even tougher than that to get is a season two. Because uh, the, the, the pilot comes in the season, they, they really look at you critically before they invest money, because they invest several hundred thousand dollars per episode just to film it and to uh, produce it and get it onto HGTV. So it's not a small investment for these folks. And for the actual TV show itself, how much work goes into your, you know, your one episode renovation that the TV audience doesn't get to see? Oh, gosh, you know, they tell us there's 100 hours of camera for every hour that shows up on TV. So probably won't you see 1% of what goes on. So how long does the actual, does the typical renovation take? I mean, we see it, you know, in, you know, in an hour. How many, you know, yeah. from time you find the property to beginning to end, what's the time frame of all that? You know, it depends. That's a good question. On a smaller property, we can, you know, knock it out in, in a couple months. Bigger properties sometimes last from the beginning to the end of the season. In fact, one the we had a huge renovation we did this season that began. It was the first house we started, and it was one of the last ones that we finished uh, for the season. So it just depends on how uh, you know how big the project is. So are you working on multiple properties at one time, oh, or yeah. does okay? So does it's not just you know you think TV okay? I found this one property and everything is focused on this one thing. You're working on multiple projects at a time. That's a great question because most people, when they're watching TV, don't stop to think, okay, this show, they, they got 13 episodes. They're, they're spending 90 days per episode. How do they get 13 of those uh, in, in a one-season you know, one series? Yeah, so you have to have overlap, and we've got some great teams around us. We've, you know, we've got great employees, and uh, so we start one house every week, and uh, then they all kind of finish when they finish. And what's been your most memorable moments um, during the filming of the show? Wow, that's a good question. We uh, there's so many things that happen. I really like working with, with my boys. You know, the the show does a really good job of featuring my kids and Luke's kids, and uh, you know, I've always tried to teach the boys how to be handy and how to you know be self sufficient. And um, I think the show does a good job of capturing that. In fact, in almost every episode, you, you see me working with all my boys or a couple of the boys. And and are you able to, while the cameras are rolling, are you able to kind of put those to the side and just focus on the remodel? Or, or, or does part of it have to be like, well, now we, you know, we're this going to show up on TV. So is this no. just there are different ways you, you, you act? You don't have any choice. You have to, uh, you, you, if you if you were worried about the cameras, then then it would be a, a, a mess. Now we we have to focus on the job at hand, get it done, and uh, you know a lot of times I find myself forgetting the cameras are even there in the heat of the moment because when you're flying in the traces uh, or when you're you know when you've got a, a, a flood emergency or you've got you know when you got things going on you just have to get it stopped and 
uh, sometimes you have to forget if the cameras are there. In fact, one time last season, we had uh, one of the guys call from one of our houses and said, man, we're going to, I found some blasting caps. I said, shut that sucker down. So we had to run over there. The bomb squad came out. The guy in the big uh, uh, bomb suit came out and took out the, the nitroglycerin blasting caps from underneath one of these houses. And, uh, you know, in times like those, you just, you, you, you really, the last thing you're thinking about is the cameras. And what, what would you say is the most difficult part of a remodel? You know, we see the glorified version of what you, what it is to what, you know, it's going to be. But in the in-between, how hard is it or, or what's the most difficult part of actually getting that idea to come to fruition? Well, in general, a remodel is not, is, is multiple degrees more difficult than a new build. And I, I'm, I'm, I do both, I've done both in my life and, uh, because in a new build, you're not dealing with something that someone did wrong in the first place. You're not dealing with 1910 construction and trying to marry it to, to uh, you know, 2019 uh, technology and, uh, you know, just marrying some of the old with the new as far as engineering. Uh, it's a difficult process, but uh, uh, so, you know, you just have to, you just have to plug through and there's, there are tons of surprises when you're renovating too, that you don't have a new build. Because you never know what's behind that sheetrock until you rip it off. And we'll go back to where we started with, with uh, your time at TCU, living uh, in Boise now. How often do you get a chance to come back to Fort Worth and, and visit the campus here? Well, you know, it's funny you ask that. My wife and I, uh, my, 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 my middle boy got a full scholarship to the University of Oklahoma, so I know that's probably not what anyone wants to hear on this podcast, but, uh, you know, that money talks. And, and he was a National Merit Scholar. <laughs> we came down, and he went to, to uh, University of Oklahoma, and Sandy and I drove on down from – we flew into uh, Oklahoma City, just kind of walking down memory lane. We drove down from Oklahoma City, spent some time in uh, Fort Worth, just she and I holding hands, walking across the campus and reminiscing. And uh, uh, we even sat down uh, right out in front of the administration building on the on the grass and remember the night that I asked her to marry me. Oh, so you met your wife here at TCU? I did. Sandy and I are both uh, horn frogs. All right, and take us through that uh, that proposal night. How did how did you set it up, and where was it? <laughs> well. We, uh, you know, the funny thing is, Sandy and I met in, a, in an accounting class. Uh, she, she always came in with a cup of coffee and her muffin, and I was uh, always sitting in the back of the class, and uh, you know, and, and she, she'd come in, and most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I thought, my goodness, that, that's uh, I, I'm going to meet that that gal. And uh, man, I did, and it's crazy. I realized that she was more beautiful on the inside than she was on the out. So I thought, man, I've got to, I got to sew this thing up quick. So we. Uh, we were probably, you know, we knew each other for probably four or five months, six months. And then one night we were just kind of walking together. Um, I think it was after an, ex uh, an exam one day. And uh, we were walking uh, back from the student union. You know, it used to be over in the, uh, it's a different place than it is today, mm -hmm. uh, you know, right behind the, the, the fountains. And we were walking back from the student union, walked past the frog and, kind of walked over in front of the admin building uh, facing uh, University Drive. And I had that bagum ring in my pocket, and I was just waiting for the right opportunity. And so I said, hey, let's just sit down here for a minute. And, and uh, I remember reaching in that pocket and leaning over and just grabbing her hand and sliding that ring on. And best day of my life, <laughs> every day since. All right. And how would you say your time at TCU has really influenced uh, where you are today? 
You know, TCU taught me, uh, you know, I, I came from, from Castleberry High School in Fort Worth, and I, I thought, man, I've got a full academic scholarship out here. I'm going to take me. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to just bust through this place. I'm going to, I'm going to own this place before I'm done. TCU taught me that <laughs> that's not how the world works. Uh, you get, you, it, it's once you get to that level of, of a school like TCU, the academics uh, TCU has, it's going to be competition. So uh, TCU taught me how to, uh, you know, pull back my ears and uh, face problems with confidence, knowing that. Uh, there's always an answer, and uh, you know if you if you just if you just have enough faith in in yourself, have enough faith in your education, know that uh, uh, you know you come from a strong place. Coming from a school like TCU uh, taught me problem solving. Uh, there, there's just a lot of good memories from TCU, way way beyond just the academics, uh, friendships, uh, you know, working with other folks, uh, you know, being in an environment where everybody else is 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 uh, super, you know really intelligent, really uh, strong drive, and it taught me how to work together with people to, to make cool things happen. Well, that that's that's great, and I think that's what all Horned Frogs tend to tend to believe after their time here at TCU. And, and we'll wrap up with this. How can people kind of follow you on your journey uh, across HGTV and other aspects you're involved in, and what are some things maybe we should be looking forward to? And Yeah, and if you want to keep up on social media, uh, I've got the website, clintrobertson.com. But uh, social media, uh, most most platforms, I think I'm. Uh, if you use the at sign, genuine Clint, that's me, and you can find me. And would love to hear from everybody uh, at TCU. It's always good to, you know, good to have uh, that 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 uh, you know those folks behind you who are cheering you on and praying for you and keeping you strong. So we would really appreciate the, the prayers and the and the good thoughts and uh, uh, especially from my fellow Horn Frogs. Well, this has been great. We we look forward so much to seeing the next part of your journey, and thank you for sharing where you've come from uh, up to now. No, absolutely. I wouldn't be who I was today. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be had the family I had today if it weren't for TCU, where I met my wife, uh, became who I you know became the the younger version of who I am today. And for all the the good, bad, ugly, and indifferent in between, I feel like I'm a much better man because of TCU. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Frog for Life podcast. If you or a friend or family member would like to get in touch with us to share your story, please contact us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at TCU Alumni. We look forward to sharing our next story of how TCU Alumni are changing the world.